Well, my thanks to the choir for that wonderful singing. A thousand, a thousand thanksgivings we bring, blessed Savior, to thee. Isn't that wonderful? The one who died in our place and the one who's coming for us, these are all wonderful, wonderful truths. I'm very glad to be with you this morning and um, thank you for inviting me. Uh, At the time I accepted coming, I hadn't realized we would be in the middle of a, of a move, and uh, it's been a while since we moved from one house to another, and it is amazing the amount of junk that you can accumulate, uh, far more than you think. Um, I told Alan earlier in the week, or last week, that we had rented a dumpster, and he quickly said to me, did you rent the big one? And uh, I said, no, we've got the small one. Uh, because, you know, we don't have all that junk. And uh, he told me a little story about his father and all their dumpsters, and I can just tell you this little dumpster is full, absolutely full. And uh, yesterday I had some of my grandkids jumping up and down on it to try to push it down and see if we could uh, fit a few more things in it. I'd like to do something uh, this morning that is a little different than I usually do. I would like to uh, seek to use this message to address uh, a a current event. Uh, And the current event is the um, tragedy that occurred in Christchurch, New Zealand, uh, just about a week ago. Uh, Joey got in touch with me and asked me, was there a... uh, uh, title for the message, and of course I uh, said yes, there was. Uh, The title for the message, I said, was God's answer to the tragedy in New Zealand. But the problem is that the more I have thought about that title, the less comfortable I have been with that title. Um, It sounds too trite and too glib that we should talk about an answer to that. Some might readily say there is really no answer to that. So possibly a better title, try this one, this is a longer one. Does the Bible have anything to say to us to help us grapple with the senseless killing of 50 innocent adults and children? And recognizing that that is not the only event like that, Just uh, a couple of days later, there were three people killed on a tram in, uh, I believe, in Amsterdam. Well, I am convinced that the answer to that question is yes, absolutely so. There are myriads of voices out there telling us things about the uh, tragedy in New Zealand and pontificating on all kinds of things. I think the Bible has something to say very clearly. When these events occur, we naturally search for some kind of understanding. That's the way we're made. It's not possible for us to have such an event occur, and then we just go on as if nothing happened. Now, I know that events rush so quickly at us that we can forget them, but somewhere we say to ourselves, oh, not again. Why does it keep happening? Is there any answer to this senseless violence 
that grips our world. This morning, we'd like to stop and consider and see if there are some answers to those questions. I think we will find that the Bible has answers for us, but they may not be like the answers we like to hear. We probably like to hear the different ones we hear on TV from various people. These answers that tell us, oh, if we just had better laws, if we just uh, had uh, greater opportunity in our economies, if we could only solve the problem of, of poverty, these things will go away. So I'm going to ask you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to lots of different scriptures, because that's what's important, isn't it? Not exactly what any individual says, but what does the Bible say? So I'm going to ask you to turn uh, to Mark uh, chapter 7, verse 21. Mark 7, verse 21, the Lord Jesus is doing the teaching. And the context of this scripture is that the scribes and religious leaders have come down from Jerusalem to challenge him about the fact that he was not following the traditions of the Jewish religion. He was failing to make sure that his disciples followed the ceremonial washing that they thought was so important. They were focused on the outside. They said, you're not making sure the outside is really as good as it should be. And the Lord now will, in his teaching, point to the fact that there's something more important than the outside, and that is the inside. The inside. And he will go on to make a remarkable statement, and it's found in verse 21. The Lord Jesus says, For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Let's read that one again. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. And then he lists fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. What a terrible list. Terrible lists. And then he says, all these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. This is a list of 13 of the most despicable aspects of human life you can imagine. Evil intentions fornications, theft, murder, adultery, and so forth. These are very solemn words for us to consider. A week ago, when the man burst into the mosque at Christchurch, New Zealand, and killed 50 and wounded many others, the youngest that was killed was three, three years old. Fifty lives snuffed out in minutes. And I think there's still over 30 in the hospital, and 12 of these are intensive care. The whole thing is truly horrendous. 
Now, we've heard it before in this country, and we've heard it before in other countries. Terrible act of evil. No other way to describe it. In all of this, we have been told that the people of New Zealand were stunned that such evil could happen in their country. I think you might have heard this on TV, that uh, comments by New Zealanders soon after it occurred, they said, this is not us. Do you remember that? This is not us. You contemplate the terribleness of the evil and you say, well, that just can't be us. It can't be. They were surprised that such things could happen in their country. They expect these kinds of things to happen in the United States, don't they? They expect it. We are seen as a gun-happy, lawless society, and we do seem to have more than our fair share of these events. Terrible. But according to the popular narrative, this kind of evil is not supposed to happen in New Zealand. New Zealand's a small country. Beautiful country, yes, a beautiful country. It has only about 5 million people. There are more people in Brooklyn than there are in New Zealand. It's a small country. They don't have the large, deep racial and ethnic divisions that plague many of the large countries. It's not supposed to happen. That's what the world tells us. That's what common thinking tells us. That's what they tell us. However, the whole idea that there are parts of the world with well-educated people and good governments and a measure of peace and prosperity for everyone that are somehow free of these atrocities is not so. The fact that it was not supposed to happen in New Zealand is a delusion. It's a false narrative. And it's a a lie that Satan tells us that actually we are better than that. Now, we are very thankful for good governments. We're very thankful for good education and economic opportunities. And certainly none of us would choose the opposite. And we are thankful for every effort towards making things better in the country in which we live. But it is obvious to all of us that the problem is much, much bigger. This act of evil in New Zealand and and the Netherlands and things that go on every day all around the world occur because of the darkness, the Lord Jesus says, of the human heart. It's obvious that there's a deep problem infecting the whole human race. It's obvious. The problem crosses all boundaries of gender, geography, politics, race, social classes, and religions. The solemn words of the Lord Jesus have got to be listened to. Now, people won't want to listen to it. If someone started a TV program today and quoted that verse, they would be in deep, deep trouble. But the Lord Jesus stated that the source of all the problems of evil in this world 
the problems in our families, the problems in our relationships, the problems in our communities, they come from what is within, inside of us. That's the source. When the Apostle Paul wrote his great letter to the Romans, he had it exactly right. He said, there is no difference. No difference between New Zealanders and Americans and Canadians. There is no difference. All have sinned. We have all fallen far short of what God's expectation is for us. When he wrote and said, there is no difference, we all fall short of the glory of God, that is what he is talking about. The expectation that a creator God has of his creatures, we are far short. The problem is universal. It's in our genes. Now, I'm not sure that's exactly a good medical thing, but it's in us. You you get the idea, don't you? There's no escaping it. We are part of a great fall. We have a sinful nature in us. And all of our earnest and best intentions cannot meet our greatest need. Obviously, clearly the solution must lie outside of ourselves. We need a new heart. And we need a new life. And I would say to you quite simply, that is God's message to the world this morning. You need a new heart. Take a look at Christ Church. You need a new heart. I'll give you a new heart and I will give you a new life. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel 36. This is a wonderful Old Testament scripture, verse 25. Now, I know Ezekiel is a little hard to find, um, but um, it will help if you just turn to it. God is speaking to his people Israel, and he's speaking to a people that have been rebellious and have been ignoring his word for hundreds of years. And they have failed over and over again. But he has a wonderful message to give to them. And he says in verse Ezekiel 36, verse 25, he says, and we're just going to start in the middle of the passage. We don't have time to read it all. God says to the nation, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is a fabulous promise that God makes to a whole nation. Can you imagine it? That God says to His people, Israel, he says, I am going to give you a new heart. To me, that is very, very exciting. This has not happened yet. The nation of Israel does not have a new heart. It did not get a new heart in 1946 when it became a nation. 
This has not happened yet, but it is still going to happen, <clears throat> and God is going to give the nation of Israel a brand new heart. Now you say to yourself, or you say to us, you say, well, how is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? It is going to happen when God takes away the blindness over their eyes, and they finally see who Jesus Christ really is. And when that blindness is taken away, in a moment of time, they will recognize that the one they crucified is the Son of God, the King of Israel, and they will get a new heart. Isn't that an exciting thing to think about? A whole nation getting a new heart. There's elsewhere in the Bible it speaks of a nation being born in a day. I love that whole idea. Again, that, I, that idea of a nation being born in a day is not, you know, the uh, UN resolution in 1946. People will tell you that, but it's not. It is when God works in the heart and Israel becomes a whole new being with a heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. They see that the words of Isaiah 53, which they have closed their eyes to, for so long, are really true, and that they were fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read Isaiah 53, and we say, yes, that is our Savior. He bore our iniquities. He carried our sorrows. He was despised and rejected. We see it so clearly, and they do not, because there's blindness over their eyes. But what a day it will be when they read that and say, oh, yes, Jesus Christ, he's the king, he's the savior. Today, God is in the business of giving new hearts one person at a time. One person at a time. And how does he do it? The exact same way that he will do it for the nation of Israel. God will give a new heart to each of us as we accept who the Lord Jesus Christ really is. As we accept that he is the Savior. We have inherited a sinful fallen nature from our first parent, Adam. But in a similar way, we can, if we will, receive Christ as Savior and receive his unfallen nature so that we can live a life holy and pleasing to God. The gospel is the most wonderful thing. God's message this morning to New Zealand and America and everywhere else is that his son is the answer. The Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. These evil things are not going to stop by changing all the laws, by trying to educate people. They're all good things. But we need a new heart. And God gives it to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 5 of Romans Paul says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, 
resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteousness. The free gift comes to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Many will be made righteous. Turn with me, will you please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter is going to describe the very same thing that uh, Paul just described. He says in, one, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 to 25, he says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, Through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently from a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We need a new birth, don't we? We need a new inside, if I can say it. And God gives it to us through his word. The tremendous thing is that God does what we cannot do. We love that, don't we? We can't fix our own hearts. We can try try our best. We can work as hard as we want, but we will always fall short. But through faith in Christ, God begins a new life in us. And out of this new life becomes the new enjoyment of a relationship with himself. And this is the good news. This is the good news. What a contrast when we think of the things that come out of our new hearts. Out of our new hearts comes love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What a contrast to those ugly things that the Lord Jesus say come from the heart of man. The Apostle Paul wrote to some first century Christians and he said something like this. He said, I am confident of this very thing that he, that is God, who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So we say to our hearts this morning, Thank God that he started a good work in us. Thank God for that. And if you are not sure that God has started a good work in you, we point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. We point you to a Savior who loves you and died for you and waits to receive you, a repentant sinner. There's nothing like the events of uh, something like the problems in Christchurch to, to get our attention. But you know, the difficulty is it doesn't hold our attention very long. We're already absorbed with March Madness. And, and, and somebody says, Christchurch? And Christchurch, what's Christchurch? And it's just a week ago. We have a, div- a really difficult time to keep focused on the important things, don't we? 
That's why we need the Word of God. That's why we need fellowship. That's why we need a choir. That's why we need these things. I thank God that not only did he save me, but he brought me to a place where I can enjoy fellowship with other Christians. I see that as one of the greatest blessings in my life. Thank God for saving my soul. Thank God for bringing me into a local church. Thank God. Because it is here I get strengthened. I hear those beautiful hymns that we sung this morning. And I'm reminded again of the preciousness of the eternal things that we have in Christ. In contrast to the death and destruction in Christ church, God offers us new life in Christ. He offers us eternal life. What's God's answer? A new heart and a new life. A new heart and a new life. The Lord Jesus describes Satan in John chapter 2 as the one who comes only to steal and to slaughter and to destroy. Now, that's a pretty strong set of things. The Lord says, this is what Satan does. This is his business all the time. Death and destruction are his work. So we look at Christ church and we say that's the evidence of Satan's work. It is. It was accomplished through a person that Satan used to bring the death and destruction. But Satan never has anything good to offer us. But he fools us so well. In contrast to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who brings us abundant life, Satan brings destruction and death. At some point in my life, and it took me a long time, I came to the conclusion that Satan never gives anybody a break. I observed in my own life, and I observed in the life of others, that Satan gets a hold of a person in some way, gets them to believe a lie. What might the lie be? The lie might be that, uh, you know, you don't have to go and spend much time at that little church. It's really not doing you any good. That may be the lie. He may give you a lie that says making a lot of money is going to be good for you. And you buy into that lie. He may give you a lie that says, you know, uh, the drugs will make you feel better. And you buy into that lie. The lies that Satan offers us are almost unlimited. And once we start to buy into that, Satan never gives us a break. He never does. He never says, you know, it's enough. I've broken that person right down to the gutter. I'll leave him alone. Uh, you know, I'll leave. He never, ever does that. He has one objective. Destruction. 
and he drives the person all the way to destruction. In great contrast, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us abundant life, abundant life. The words of the Lord Jesus in John 17, I'm just going to read them to you. Just as you gave him authority over all people that all may, he may give to eternal life to all that you give him. Now this is the eternal life that they should know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The Lord was clearly not promising his followers they would never die physically because during his ministry he told them they would die. He told them they would suffer. Suffer persecution. He told them that he would be crucified. And he told them to get ready for the same thing. So eternal life that Jesus offers us is not simply a promise that we will never die, nor is it a promise that uh, when we do die, we are going to heaven, although that's a wonderful thing. The eternal life that Jesus gives you is a life that you have now. Right now, you and I can enjoy eternal life. One of the best-known verses in the Bible that we love so much, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a verse for a hurting world, isn't it? God loves so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It would be impossible for us to overstate that wonderful verse, wouldn't it? Impossible. And we need constant renewal day by day in the life which God has given us. Given us. We enjoy that life among the Lord's people but we also enjoy it in our families. The eternal life that the Lord Jesus gives us is the promise of life now. It's a promise of life here. It's a promise of life in our relationships. It's a promise of life to enjoy that which is much better than we could ever enjoy without it. We love our lives, don't we? You know, you get up in the morning and say, well, I'm glad I'm alive for another day. Well, that's right. The life that you have is the life that God has given you. But he gives you also something much greater. He gives you something called eternal life, that promise of life now. Whosoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Notice the present tense. Has eternal life. What does it mean? Let's take a minute to ask ourselves, what does this eternal life mean? First of all, it means that we enjoy God's life. We enjoy and share in the life of God, the life of his son. When God transmits his spiritual life to us and he quickens us and he makes us alive and he regenerates us, he forms a relationship with us. We become his children. The great blessing of being the children of God is part of the eternal life that God gives us. 
He forms a relationship with you, with me. We have the ability to know God and to love God and to grow in the knowledge of God. And when God forms a personal relationship with you, let me tell you, he remains loyal to that relationship, doesn't he? I haven't always been loyal to my friends, but I can tell you God is always loyal to us. He never lets us go. That's all part of the wonderful truth of eternal life. And it also means that when our earthly pilgrimage is over down here and this tent is taken down, we will continue to enjoy eternal life in heaven itself. You know, one of the great blessings of eternal life is that the more we enjoy it, the more we have the ability to enjoy it. You know, the life that a child has uh, needs to be developed. The little baby there. Uh, that uh, life needs to grow. It needs to be developed. The same is true of eternal life. We need to exploit the full potential of the new life that we have in Christ. I think it was Dr. Gooding that said, the chief reward for developing the full potential of eternal life is the ever-increasing ability to enjoy that life. You will never get to the end of what God gives you. Isn't that an exciting thing? Nobody is ever going to get to heaven and say, I've gotten bored. There is always something more. I love that uh, story about the Queen of Sheba. She went to visit Solomon and she said, you know, I heard that you were really pretty good. I heard you had a great kingdom. And I heard that your, were, your wisdom was greater than any other wisdom. But when I got here and actually saw it, she said, I realized the half had not been told me. Beloved Christian, throughout all eternity, you will be saying all the time, the half had not been told me. The more you have, you'll realize there is much, much more. It's exciting to be a Christian. Exciting. So we come back to this question that we started with. Does the Bible have anything to say about the events in Christchurch? And surely the answer is yes. The world says, well, why do these terrible things keep happening? And we hear the solemn words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is from the human heart that evil intentions come. But we also see the wonderful truth that God offers a new heart through Christ, through Christ. They don't have to keep happening. They only keep happening because we will not accept Jesus Christ as Lord. What a wonderful day it is when every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be no events in Christ's church when that happens, none. So the answer is a new heart. God will give you a new heart this morning. And I would just say he will revive that new heart that he gave you that is kind of beating a little slow. 
And uh, he'll revive it this morning through the work of the Holy Spirit. And out of that new heart will become come wonderful things. Wonderful things. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, fidelity, meekness, self-control. I, I haven't got that list right, have I? My Sunday school teacher would not be too happy with me. So a world that is filled with death and despair, a world that says, why do these things happen? We hear the precious words of John 3.16, God so loved the world. That's how it all works. It's all a result of God's infinite love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, our God and our Father, we thank you for the wonderful answers that we find in your word. And more than this, the wonderful answers we find in our blessed Savior. We pray that in the midst of these great sorrows and difficulties, there may be those who hear the voice of scriptures, might turn to our Lord Jesus Christ and find the blessing of eternal life. We do pray for comfort for all those that have been impacted by these terrible events. We pray for comfort by those impacted by all kinds of events around the world. But we pray, our God, that men might turn to you. Revive our hearts, strengthen us, Give us joy, Lord Jesus, in yourself. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.